You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of a 19-year-old boy with autism. As a parent of a child with autism, we had our share of evaluations with experts in one area or another. Something very common as you enter the special education world, of course. Later, I started to wonder what was on the minds of the evaluators as they met with us and our son. Today, I speak with Dr. Dana Chittical, a pediatric neuropsychologist who helps us to understand what her goals are when meeting with families to better understand their child. She explains the process, her initial thoughts, and the idea behind won't versus can't when it comes to looking at behaviors. Enjoy the conversation. Dr. Dana Chittical, welcome and thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, you do a lot of assessments, among other things, and these assessments are important to a lot of families, especially if they're new to the special education world. And having gone through them myself, I thought always about myself and how I was feeling. But I'd be curious to hear, what are your thoughts? So when you first sit down with a family, what goes through your mind, and how do you set them at ease and help them understand what your role is in all this, this journey they're starting to take or have been taking? Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, you know, it starts before they come in. Um, so uh, I, when when I get a phone call from a, a parent, I, I return all of my own calls. And in part, that's because really exactly what you're talking about. Somebody is going to be calling me. They're going to be concerned, anxious. They don't know who I am. And often they're confused about, uh, they've been referred to a neuropsychologist, to an educational psychologist. You know, the distinctions between various professionals aren't clear. And there's nothing more significant at stake than, you know, when your child is is struggling. So I return phone calls and I'll ask parents to tell me about what, why they're calling, what's happening. And mm-hmm. then I I I have a, a introduction that is kind of a I could do it for you if you like. It's kind of it, over the course of years, it just seems to to answer those questions and set up a framework that that okay. allows them to understand my role. Do you want me to kind of sure? Run so, that? so this is basically like the questions you know that are on their mind as they sit down. Yes, and your experience yes. has taught you really this is probably ninety nine percent of the time what they're thinking. Yeah, well, you know, that they, there's questions about what is my role and what can they expect from this? And it's kind of abstract. And everybody, you know, I said at one point, testing has become like a developmental milestone, like soccer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like everyone goes through testing. But, you know, sometimes when we use terms, and a lot of people are using them, I, I wonder if there are people who are thinking, I'm not really sure what this is, but everybody else seems to. So I'll just go, you know, we'll just do this. Um, and, you know, some idea that they're supposed to be more uh, aware of what the process is than is the case. Well, let me ask you that question then. So, Dr. Dana Chittical, like, what are you doing here? Why are you in my this meeting with me? Oh, well, I'm, why am I on this podcast, or are we pretending like... No, we're like, pretending. Like, <laughs> give me that opportunity to answer that question. Uh, uh, you, you're oh, uh, hi. Yeah, okay. So, what are you doing so, here? Like, uh, yeah, I got all this going on in my life. I mean, why am I talking to you? Okay, so um, so presuming that you've just explained what uh, you know, you've given me some thumbnail or often more uh, uh, about what it is that's going on in sure, your life, sure. I'll, I'll I'll get to a point where I have enough information and I'll say, okay, so let me explain what I do, how it fits with what you're talking about, and then we'll figure out where we go from there. And so here's what I say. Um, so I'm uh, I'm a pediatric neuropsychologist, and that is a specialist in psychology, like a neurologist 
or a pediatrician is a specialist in medicine. And this specialty of neuropsychology is uh, about understanding the relationship between brain functioning and behavior. And I think to myself, if I was you calling me, my first thought would be, oh, that sounds great. And my next thought might be, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> what do we what do we get? Um, and I I use an analogy, a math problem as an analogy to describe how I apply what I do. And I think of parents calling me with the answer on the other side of the equal sign. Here's what we see. Here's what we tried. Here's what the teacher says. This is what, you know, whatever is apparent. And what's not clear is the equation, meaning what it is that's driving what everyone sees. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of an evaluation is to clarify that equation, what's driving what's presenting on, on the surface. And the only reason we do that is in order to make a treatment plan going forward that, that, that's treating the foundational problems, because many different things can present, uh, like, is it an attention disorder? Is it anxiety? Is there a, a factor autism spectrum disorder in here? So when we figure out what, uh, what, the, what the underlying drivers are, um, which, by the way, is not only a diagnosis, but what is driving the behaviors that, that, that lead the child to meet those criteria, then we can figure out a treatment plan going forward that makes sense. So the way the process works, uh, I have an initial meeting with parents. I mm -hmm. say, you know, this is a chance for us to have this conversation in a more elaborated way. I have you fill in an initial history form when you come in, uh, before you come in, and uh, we use it as a structure for your com uh, our conversations. So uh, I'll look over your responses and I'll ask you more questions about some of them. And the purpose of the meeting for me is to come up with ideas about what may be going on. So I'm sure I have all the relevant questions in mind to address with the assessment. And, you know, it's, it's like saying you don't go to your doctor and they say, let's just take some blood, right? They do mm -hmm. blood work based upon questions that they want to answer. So I have an initial meeting with parents. We, you know, we go over this, we may or may not do a school visit after, um, uh, after that, depending on what the questions are, how old the child is, and whether that's important procedurally. Um, and then I'll have the meetings with the child in my office. And for most kids up to, or, uh, who are over six or seven, I need about eight hours with them. Um, and we do it in never one day. Uh, older uh, kids sometimes right. two four-hour meetings, uh, depending on the age of the child and the problems that are leading parents to seek the evaluation. You know, we, we, the idea here is to make it meaningful, not to mm -hmm. make it correspond to my schedule. And this is an investment you're saying of time and energy into all this. It's and money. It's you know, yeah. it's it's yeah. There's a lot. You know, I I, I think the responsibilities um, of somebody in my position are kind of sacred, and I have the position that there's no such thing as a benign intervention, particularly in the life of a child, hmm. because you're given an opportunity to step in, and if you are not really helping, then you are doing harm. You're 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 not steering people in the right direction. They're missing opportunities. Um, so uh, so I take my responsibility seriously. I do the work in the way that that I, I know that it needs to be done. Um, I don't, I'm not on anyone's insurance plan, but if they have a PPO, um, I provide them information ahead of time that they can call their insurance and find out what they may be reimbursed for me as, a, as, as an out-of-network person. Um, but the idea is to, again, make this meaningful. This is, you know, this can be transformative in the life of children and families. 
Um, Dr. Jutical, I yeah. want to ask you about, uh, you brought up behaviors earlier, and I want to ask you about behaviors. So as a parent or a teacher, you can look at a kid and say, ah, oh, that kid just doesn't want to do something. But you're, you're, <laughs> you're more, and I think everybody in your field is more of the belief that there's an antecedent to that behavior, giving rise to that behavior. How do you figure that out? Like, how can you see that, that other people just typically can't see that, you know, there's a reason for this child not wanting to do something, some antecedent before that that's driving that well, it's interesting. I'd even kind of modify your question and say it isn't necessarily that the child doesn't want to do something, though it can look that way. Oh, okay. uh, a lot of uh, the foundational, you know, I think we're all fond of saying, you know, there's two kinds of people. There's two kinds of questions. You know, we like to make things simple. So there's two main questions um, often on people's mind that they're not aware of uh, that I'm aware the evaluation needs to answer. And that is what's a can't do? And what's a won't do? Okay. And a lot of times things that are can't do's look like won't do's. So I'll have a parent come in and say, my child is so lazy. You know, every single day I have to remind him of the same thing and he knows just what he's supposed to do. And he you know, goes on the video games or he he's, he's just not doing it. And I am just, you know, I'm nagging him and it's making things crazy. And I don't know why he's doing this. And the presumption is that the child is lazy because it, it's, you know, the child doesn't know. If you say to them, what are you supposed to do when you come home from school? I'm supposed to start my homework. Great. You have that knowledge. But many times the things that we're uh, measuring have to do with the infrastructure that mm -hmm. allows you to use your knowledge in ways that are adaptive, that let you do what you're supposed to do. So one of the things that can be so transformative in an assessment before anybody goes forward with any of the interventions or therapies that are, are recommended as a result is reframing what's happening at home. So for example, the lazy example, so-and-so is so lazy, I have to tell them all the time. So mm -hmm. one of the things that develops within us that allows us to go from being uh, dependent utterly on our environments to survive as babies and little kids and uh, to being independent people who can drive ourselves forward and do things in the world is the capacity to initiate behavior, to start things, not just fun things, but to mm. be selective in moving ourselves forward in relation to goals. Okay. And, and, and when I'm explaining this, I sometimes have parents get this look in their face. I said, you think I'm coming up with some elaborate brain-based justification for laziness, <laughs> you. And yes, they do. I say, okay, well, then you tell somebody with Parkinson's that because that's a capacity in that neurodegenerative disorder that diminishes. And what Parkinson's patients can't do is they can't really move themselves forward with right. thoughts. And, okay. So then, so then once we, if we discover this thing that looked like lazy is actually something that a child can't do from within and does depend on support from the environment, well, then everybody's on even ground and we can all problem solved together. Parents don't have to feel like failures because they haven't been able to mm -hmm. make a child do it. And a child doesn't have to feel like an idiot because yes, they do know what they're supposed to do, but they haven't been able to do it. And then you can start to figure out this doesn't mean that the parent has to call the child for the rest of his life and say, did you take your medicine? Did you brush your teeth? You figure out how do you build in those kind of prompts from the environment that allow the child to be successful. But but shifting that and having parents realize, oh my gosh, this whole time I was thinking he was just being a jerk um, is, is really, um, can be really profound uh, experience for the parent and a really transformative experience in a family. So how hard is it to convince people of, of that idea versus that, yeah, that's nice. He's really just lazy. You know, it's a choice. 
Yeah, well, as part of the, as I'm, you know, at the end of the process, like we go through the testing, mm -hmm. it takes me a, two or three weeks before I'm calling you, and we can be set the meeting. And I tell parents in that phone call, my goal um, at, when we're sitting down to talk about the findings is not that you say, oh my gosh, Dr. Shittical has had a lot of school, but that you say, oh my gosh, I'm really understanding my child. I get it now. I understand why he does XYZ, whatever they've mentioned is happening. So, it's everything is there's no individual test where you say we give one test and we look at it and we mm -hmm. say, oh, look, this isn't a, a function of like ill will. This is a, a, in a incapacity. One of the reasons the testing is so comprehensive is that when you come up with a, a hypothesis based upon a finding, you have to say, OK, this is looking like it's a problem with initiative or this is looking like it's a problem with impulse control. You have to be able to 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 internally test your conclusion against other tests that you've given um, to make sure that what you're saying is true. And when you've got uh, uh, findings at the end that you've, that you've um, kind of filtered through this process, mm -hmm. I've mm -hmm. never had parents say, I don't believe you. I mean, it's oh, just, it's, it's so clear. Um, it, yeah. It's, uh, let me give you a, a, another example. Sorry, I'm going to talk and talk and you can just stop me and ask me questions. <laughs> well, but examples are good because then people can say, okay. oh yeah, that's my child or this okay. person I work yeah. with or whatever. Okay, right. So, um, so uh, in terms of testing, one of the things that's so important, you know, all the tests have names and um, there's some very circular kind of reasoning that goes on. Like there's something called the test of auditory processing. So if a child is given that test and they do poorly on it, somebody goes, oh, look, auditory processing problem. How do you know he's got an auditory sure. processing problem? Because right? he did poorly on this test that's called auditory <laughs> processing. Okay, that makes me crazy. Um, uh, because a lot of times kids who do poorly on those things also don't process so well in other modalities. And you don't, you know, again, you don't want to sound smart if you're not actually, you know, you can sound so official with these things. Um, there's uh, one of the tests that we uh, commonly give to measure a subcomponent of reading um, is, I'm thinking of the, a, a battery that has something to test a phonological processing. So you're looking at, does a child have the ability to make sound symbol relationships? And as kids get older, they're able to kind of partition parts of words mentally and, and oh, that's terrible. Hold on. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, so, so one of these subtests of the NEPSI, uh, phonological processing test. So, so let's okay. say a child does poorly on this. Mm -hmm. so, so the thing that you definitely wouldn't want to do right away is say, oh, see, terrible phonologic processing. You, that's your hypothesis. You say this kid did not do well on this test. But if indeed this is true about the child, that they lack phonological awareness, then we should look at their, their spelling errors and they should be errors and they should not be phonetically accurate. Because if you've got a problem with phonologic processing, it's going to show up anywhere you have to rely upon it. Uh, so what okay. do you do if you get a poor score on this test of phonologic processing, but you see these the, that the errors are okay, and then you listen to the kid read, and they're actually trying, it, it sounds like they're making better um, sound symbol connections. So you have to know your tests. One of the things that the tests of phonological processing requires is something called working memory. You have to keep the information in mind right. while you're moving it around. Something so teenagers of, are incapable of doing. 
Well, you know, which makes more, them more fun. or less. <laughs> which is why they're fun. <laughs> more or less. I don't know. Maybe that's just an excuse. We'll see. Um, yeah. So, so, so you have to be able to. So you, then, if you have good, if you have good spelling or phonologically accurate spelling, but you, but you have lousy scores on other tests of working memory, you then have to explain your finding on what looked like a phonological processing problem. You say, "Oh no, that's just a, a, a problem with working memory," and I know that test makes that demand. So. Everything is kind of internally tested. There's nothing, mm -hmm. there's no conclusion I'm going to reach where I say, well, there's that one test. Um, because frankly, if a child does poorly on only one test of something, that's probably an outlier. So it sounds like um, the, the testing process works where just one leads to another to sort of gives you hints along the way until you feel like you have enough body of evidence to be more conclusive. Would that, would that, would that be accurate? No, hints, yeah. Or, or each, I mean, you could, you could create a, 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 uh, conclusion. You could say, look, okay, that's this poor thing here. It it could be this. But then you have to look at other parts of the testing to say, is it that? So it's not just hints along the way. And by the way, you're also starting out with ideas about what might be going on. So, you know, every test test evalu or every evaluation starts with mm -hmm with those kind of questions based upon all the information that you've gathered. And now you're just building evidence to make, to see if you have conclusions that hang together. And by the way, not just among test data, they have to make sense in the context of what the, the child's difficulties are. They have to explain okay. what the parents tell you, <laughs> like, because otherwise if they don't, or if you're talking about something and a parent goes, well, I don't know. He doesn't really have this problem. What are you going to say? Well, the tests say he does. Yeah. yeah. So I, how, do yeah. You, how do you know? I, I, yeah, obviously, it's you get you get trained in all these things, and, and when as your background, you go through education. But how much of it is experience? Where you're like over time, you start to see the patterns more and become more obvious to you. Oh, I think that's the fun of of being in any field for any length of time. So mm -hmm. you get trained, and and you know you 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 take you have to be diligent about mastering things at the level that you can. But you know, I think about the work that I did ten years ago, and I know that the work that I do now. I mean, I, maybe it's pattern recognition. You know, you just get expertise as a function of exposure, or you get intuition. Um, uh, that that is born of so much experience that helps you be more more efficient with respect to going wait 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 this feels like and then you can look somewhere else and it's you know that's that's so satisfying uh, to I imagine if we didn't feel like we constantly got better at what we did that it would be hard to persist yeah so it keeps you from getting bored I guess yeah yeah and 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 frankly you can take that and you could say you know kids who are uh, you know you think about processing speed, this thing we measure, this ability to kind of apply yourself in an efficient way and mm -hmm. get into this kind of rhythm to do quasi-routine things so you're not in first gear. Like, at, remember when you learn to drive a car, which, where's the key? You know, everything doesn't require so much purposeful effort. I was just trying to keep and, my screaming father calm. That was my focus. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's either, you know, depending on how familiar the procedures you, uh, you know, you, you did to, to do that, uh, it's either a, you know, novel problem solving, you know, dilemma. Yeah, I think or, it was a threat response or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, but kids who don't, you know, develop a progressive sense of mastery, you know, the ones that are not mastering their math facts and mm -hmm. they can't get their math procedures mm -hmm. and everything is like, you know, Groundhog Day. 
it's hard, really hard for them to stay focused and keep doing what they're doing because they don't have that underlying little bit of, hey, you're getting it, you're getting it, it's getting it. You know, you don't get that little bit of mastery to keep you going. You get kids who've got processing speed problems who are not homework delinquent and you say to their parents, okay, let me tell you how hard your child is working. Um, and how lazy he's not, because <laughs> <laughs> this is a sheer will that's keeping him going in relation to this. Well, we're coming towards the end of our time here, and I just want to ask you a, a, sort of a personal oh, question a little bit, if you don't mind. It's not too bad. Uh, I was curious, like, what is your favorite, or maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, what is, do you find the most interesting population to work with right now? Oh, my gosh. I like, I, I, you know, I... I I like puzzles. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think I can answer that. Everybody has their own, uh, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years and I still find it fascinating each, you know, I, and I don't mean to sound like Pollyanna. Oh, everybody's interesting, but they really <laughs> are. And if they weren't, I don't think I could do it. Um, so, so really, you know, I end up having referrals of complicated people are like, we're not quite, you know, a child who, has no motor response and no language and, you know, how do we figure out what's going on for them? So I, I like, I guess, uh, I like figuring out how to approach evaluations that don't really have a conventional way of being approached. Okay. How to figure stuff out where you can't give the ordinary tests and so, so it like really that. isn't a specific population. It's a specific type of case where it's just people have been having trouble figuring it out. Yeah, or you know, and 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 my favorite population to work with is people who who want change more than they don't want it. Okay. And uh, you know, it's change is hard, and your brain is against it. It likes doing things in familiar ways, even if you're miserable, because it's keeping you alive and it's very mm. conservative. So I appreciate that. That I know we all want to change, but really we don't. And I think it takes a lot of courage to first of all come for an evaluation, and then to take action based upon what the findings are and make the kind of changes that are that are necessary. I have a lot of respect for families that do that. Dr. Dana Chittical, thanks so much for your time and coming on the show today and sharing some great information that I know parents are going to love. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm delighted to have been invited and it's been really nice to meet you. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.